The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, let's take our Bibles, if you would, and now we'll get down to serious things, talking from the Word of God. I want you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 28. And in the past three messages, we've, we've studied the work of Israel's high priest in offering sacrifices for the people. And the sacrificial system necessitates a priest. And since the priests are integral to this system... I thought it would be good for us to, and is good for us, to figure how the priest fits into the pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, the sacrifices represented Christ in his perfect life, in which he earned righteousness that is imputed to us by faith. They also showed his death, and how we are have the guilt of our sins expiated, expiated, and then how we have the wrath of God propitiated through that sacrifice. The animals that were used in the trespass offering and the sin offerings were imperfect pictures of Christ because they didn't have an ability to take away sin, but they were examples that foreshadowed the one who would come and make a lasting sacrifice, the only sacrifice that would ever be needed again, and that sacrifice removes all of our sins and accomplishes our redemption. Now, the sacrificial system wouldn't work without a priest. His work was extraordinary. And so God sanctified one tribe from Israel, from which the priests would be chosen, and they were separated out, and they were sanctified because they were to represent Christ. And they were examples of Christ in his intercessory and mediatorial work because the people needed someone to stand between them and God. So Christ was both an offering and the offer which made him different from the Aaronic priesthood. The Aaronic priest could only represent Christ as far as being the offerer of the sacrifice, but Christ was the sacrifice himself, and so it was necessary that there be a better priesthood, a, a priesthood that is above the Aaronic order, the order of the law, to fully comprehend who Christ is in his mediatorial work. Now, in this passage of Exodus 28, our focus shifts to the glory of Christ as represented by the priest. The high priest, special clothing is the unique method of doing that which made the high priest stand out from the people and from the common priest. Now I'd like for us to read chapter 28 in Exodus in its entirety. I, I thought at first that we might not do this, but as I began to read over these verses and refresh my, myself on each part, of this sacred wardrobe of the priest, it, it took on almost a magical tone. And since I don't like the word magical in connection with the Bible, then I would say that this is the supernatural power of God that really gripped me and convinced me that we ought to read this text. Now, many of you that use a Bible reading uh, plan, you'll come to passages like this, and you quickly read through them, not understanding what all of this is about, but as we read, I want you to understand that every piece of clothing, every article of clothing that's in this wardrobe does have special significance. Now, it's, it's not unusual for us to read the Bible, not looking for in-depth meaning, 
But I hope that you've learned through the study of the sacrifices that we should always ask the question, why? Why did they do this? And there's always a reason for that because God doesn't give us anything in the Word of God that's not important. Now, I know many of you, knowing this, have changed the way that you read the Bible. And as you learn, you see things now that you've never seen before. Now, I, I studied the Bible for years and tabernacle was... Tabernacle teaching was really a good part of my upbringing. Uh, I've been through this many, many times. And so when I began to read the passage, the meaning of each piece of clothing just came back to me, and these things began to fill my mind. Sermons that I heard so many times as I was growing up. And I don't cease to be amazed at the wisdom of God's typology. And so as I, as I read this, and as I continued to read this, those vacant places of my mind that usually don't have anything there... Uh, began to fill up with all these symbols again. And as you learn, as we go through the discussion of these things, I don't think that you'll come to this passage again and read this without having the symbols and the meaning of these things come to your mind. And I hope that's what happens to you as you learn these things over the next few weeks. God has a purpose in everything that he says here in this chapter. So we're going to read the entire chapter and if you can't enjoy it because you don't understand what it all means just yet, then just enjoy it because it is the Word of God. Reading the Word of God is always good for you. I don't care where you read, it's always good for you. So Exodus chapter 28, and we are going to read it all, starting at verse number 1. And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him, from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, and an ephod, and a robe, an embroidered coat, a mitre, and a girdle. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And they shall take gold and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue and of purple, of scarlet and of fine twine linen with cunning work. It shall have the two shoulder pieces thereof joined at the two edges thereof, and so shall it be joined together. And the curious girdle of the ephod which is upon it shall be of the same, according to the work thereof, even of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine twine linen. And thou shalt take two onyx stones, and grave on them the names of the children of Israel, six of their names on one stone, and the other six names of the rest on the other stone, according to their birth. With the work of the engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, shalt thou engrave the two stones with the names of the children of Israel. Thou shalt make them to be set in ouches of gold. And thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial unto the children of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. And thou shalt make ouches of gold and two chains of pure gold at the ends of wreathen work shalt thou make them, and fasten the wreathen chains to the ouches. And thou shalt make the breastplate of judgment with cunning work, after the work of the ephod thou shalt make it. 
of gold, of blue, and of purple, and of scarlet, and of fine twine linen shalt thou make it. Four square it shall be, being doubled. A span shall be the length thereof, and a span shall be the breadth thereof. And thou shalt set in it settings of stones, even four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and a carbuncle. This shall be the first row. And the second row shall be an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a ligure, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, and an onyx, and a jasper. And they shall be set in gold in their enclosings. And the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet. Every one with his name shall they be according to the twelve tribes. And they shall make upon the breastplate chains at the ends of the wreathen work of pure gold. And thou shalt make upon the breastplate two rings of gold, and shalt put the two rings on the ends of the breastplate. And thou shalt put the two wreathen chains of gold in the two rings which are on the ends of the breastplate. And the other two ends of the two wreathen chains thou shalt fasten in the two ouches, and put them on the shoulders of the ephod before it. And thou shalt make two rings of gold, and thou shalt put them upon the two ends of the breastplate in the border thereof, which is in the side of the ephod inward. And other two rings of gold thou shalt make, and shalt put them on the two sides of the ephod underneath, toward the forepart forepart thereof, over against the other coupling thereof, above the curious girdle of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastplate by the rings thereof, under the rings of the ephod, with a lace of blue, that it may be above the curious girdle of the ephod, and that the breastplate be not loosed from the ephod. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart. And when he goeth unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim. And they shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goeth in before the Lord. And Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. And thou shalt make the robe of the ephod all of blue. And there shall be a hole in the top of it, in the midst thereof. It shall have a binding of woven work round about the hole of it, as it were the hole of a habergeon, that it be not rent. And beneath, upon the hem of it, thou shalt make pomegranates of blue, and of purple, and of scarlet, round about the hem thereof, and bells of gold between them round about. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, upon the hem of the robe round about. And it shall be upon Aaron to minister, and his sound shall be heard when he goeth in unto the holy place before the Lord, and when he cometh out, that he die not. And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold, and grave upon it like the engravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And thou shalt put it on the blue lace, that it may be upon the mitre, upon the forefront of the mitre it shall be. And it shall be upon Aaron's forehead, that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things, which the children of Israel shall hallow in all their holy gifts, and it shall be always upon his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. And thou shalt embroider the coat of fine linen, and thou shalt make the mitre of fine linen, and thou shalt make the girdle of needlework. And as for Aaron's sons, thou shalt make coats, and thou shalt make for them girdles and bonnets, shalt thou make for them for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother and his sons with him, and shalt anoint them, and consecrate them, and sanctify them, 
that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness. From the loins even unto the thighs they shall reach. And they shall be upon Aaron and upon his sons when they come in unto the tabernacle of the congregation, or when they come near unto the altar to minister in the holy place, that they bear not iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever unto him and his seed after him. This is the word of God. Amen. Now, our text in the last message was Hebrews chapter 5. It begins in the first verse. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. The priest is ordained for men. And that's reflected in Exodus 28 verse 1. As Aaron and his sons were chosen from the people to be priests for the people. And from the beginning, this is the way that God has always worked. He's always worked through men for men. There are occasions, of course, when God used angels to do his work, but the normal way that God works with his people is to call out men to work with them and to use them as his instruments. As a minister of the gospel, I'm aware that I don't perform all the same duties that a priest in the Old Testament did, but there are important parallels in the pastor's work and also with the way that God ordained priests in the Old Testament. As Old Testament priests were, pastors are chosen from among the people that they minister to, and this is their responsibility to minister for the people in the presence of God. Now, in the last message, there there was much devoted to that particular aspect of Christ's life, that he was a priest that was chosen for men. He was tapped by the Father to become a man and to identify with man and to present man in his high priestly intercessory work. Identification with the people was a very important part of Old Testament uh, worship in the Old Testament context. And so when God chose one tribe to be the priest, he couldn't choose a tribe that was better than all the others. He couldn't choose one that was holier than the others. He couldn't choose one that was more suited for priesthood than any of the others because there were none that were better than the others. They're just men and They're sinners, cursed with the same sins as their brethren. So Levi, the tribe that was chosen for the priest, Levi was not a distinct son of Jacob. There was nothing that stood out about Levi unless it would be the depth of his depravity. In fact, if you look at Genesis chapter 34, There you'll find Levi and his brother Simeon guilty of deceit and murder of a whole city of men. And this is when uh, one of the men of Shechem defiled their sister Dinah, and Levi and Simeon were set on revenge. And so instead of holding the one that was responsible for that outrage and bringing that one man to justice, what they decided to do was to destroy the whole city. And they tricked those men in a way that I don't really want to describe to you tonight and don't want to discuss But what they did caused Jacob to react against them when he pronounced his blessings on his children. Now, Jacob noted only one description of Levi, that he was an angry and violent man. In Genesis 49, verses 5 through 7, where Jacob pronounced his blessings on uh, Simeon and Levi, in that section where he deals with uh, how he would give his blessings to his children, this is what he says about those two. 
Simeon and Levi, our brethren, instruments of cruelty, are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, under their assembly, mine honor, be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Now that's interesting because when the tribes received their inheritance, Levi did not get a portion of the land, but his tribe was scattered throughout Israel, as Jacob said they would be. And then if you look at Simeon, although he did receive a portion of the land, um, Simeon was a very obscure tribe. In fact, they were sucked up into Judah, comprehended in them, and so they also became a scattered tribe. So Levi had no redeeming qualities that God would choose his descendants to have this high honor to become priests. But in the wisdom of God, God chose sinners to deal with sinners. He chose men who understood other sinners. And that close identification helped them to deal with men that were no different from them. Now, in that respect, the priests represented Christ. Not that Christ was a sinner, of course, but that Christ was close to man. Close in that being only God or being just God, if you could say just God, that he was close to man in a way that he could not be. And this is that he experienced what they experienced. So there isn't anyone who can offer the excuse that it's impossible to please God because he doesn't understand what I go through. Well, he took care of that by sending Jesus into the world in the flesh to live as men live. Christ lived as a man among men. So he was a man, but there's also that other side of Jesus, isn't there? That he is man and he is God. And so he's fully man and fully God. And as God, he certainly has an advantage. And that is he can do for man what being only a man he could not do. Now if the Aaronic priesthood is representative of Christ, then how is that aspect of Christ demonstrated by those that are sinful? Well, one way would be for the priest to offer a sacrifice for his own sins before he offered for the sins of the people. And that he did, and we've studied that part of it. But that doesn't adequately picture Christ's priesthood. He is both man and God. And so how can it be pictured that the high priest is more than just another priest or more than just another man? Well, it's done through the glory of the clothing that he wore. His clothes were distinctly different. And when he was robed in these unique garments, there was no one in Israel that was like him. And so the priesthood, that, that would distinguish him. But the priesthood is just an office. That's, that's a concept. You, you, you just have a concept of priesthood. And if you haven't noticed this about God, just open your eyes to see that God is a visual God. That God demonstrates. He doesn't just tell us the way that things are. He demonstrates the way that things are. A notable example is in Romans 5 verse 8. God didn't just say to us, I love you. He demonstrated his love. He didn't whisper in our ear and say, oh, I love you. But rather, God made a magnanimous statement of his love by sending his only begotten son into the world in human flesh to die for us. And he did that when we were sinners, when we were estranged from him. And that's something that when you trust Christ, you feel that in your heart. You know that to be true. And then you can read it in the scriptures as a historical fact. 
This is what we call God's love acted out. That is God's love demonstrated. And so God loves to emphasize truth with visual demonstrations. John Calvin wrote of the priest, The holy garments were not only supposed to conceal his faults, but also to represent the incomparable adornment of all virtues. Now that's a comment that we should savor for just a moment. The Levitical priest was a man, but when he put on these holy garments, his imperfections, they were indeed covered. But he also pictured Christ. And more than being covered to conceal all of his ordinary humanity, these garments are different, these are beautiful, and they show the virtues of Christ. And so he is both perfect and positively virtuous. So the garments then are a visual aid to show that the high priest is not an ordinary man. He's not even an ordinary priest. His garments are not simple like the other priest. And so Aaron's sons didn't put on Aaron's garments because there is only one high priest. And these garments were selected by God to show that when a man enters into this office, when he takes up this work, he's different. When he takes on this work, he's holy. He's dedicated to God day and night. And he's always there to minister for the people as Christ always intercedes to the Father for his people. Now the people learned that they needed someone who was extraordinary for this work. Oh yes, he was ordinary when he was chosen. When that high priest was chosen, he was an ordinary man. But in that elevation to priesthood, the ordination of the office to the priesthood and the holy garments, that's what made him extraordinary. In this, we also learn that we need someone to go to God for us. The requirements of a mediator haven't changed. We can't approach God. We need a priest to go to God. We need one who is like us, one who has experienced things that we experience, who's gone through life like us and dwelled with us, but we also need him to be distinctly different from us. We need him to be higher and holier than we are. And this is the foundational principle of the special garments. It's holiness. It's holiness above our filthy righteousness. We are not good enough. And so we need a different righteousness, an alien righteousness, a righteousness foreign to the paltry goodness of fallen human nature. This is the righteousness produced by the one who was in perfect obedience to the law. Hebrews 7.26, For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Now, the importance of this part of tabernacle worship is demonstrated by the voluminous amount that is in, in the written instructions for this. There are 43 verses about priesthood that we've just read in this 28th chapter. There are 39 more verses in chapter 39 about priesthood. There is no part of the tabernacle worship that is as detailed as what is said about priesthood. So this is the priest. What we're looking at here, as we read these verses, we are staring at God's visual of the glory of his Son. Now, if the high priest, then, is the central figure representing Christ in the sacrificial system, then what do we expect to see emphasized the most in this? Well, it would be that when the high priest, or when the people, rather, saw the high priest, that he was God to them. And I don't mean that 
They worshipped him as God or thought that he was God. No, not, not in a million years. But what God had done was to give them something they could see. God gave them something of himself they could see. Now you think about that for just a minute. They were never allowed to make an idol. They're not allowed to make a, a golden calf to worship, and that turned out badly. But they were given a man. And, and this tells you what God was doing. It's the glory of these garments that will picture the God-man. Now, not often, but occasionally, someone will say to me, they, they will thank me for the ministry of Berean, and they'll say something like, well, I know that you're God's man. I can see Christ in you. doesn't happen very often because I'm rarely in good form. But sometimes it does. But people, people will say that not because of the clothing I wear, even though it's stellar, of course. But it's not because of the clothing I wear. It's not because I dress like a high priest. But it's because of teaching or it's because of some other aspect of the ministry. But the Old Testament high priest was not necessarily recognized for his teaching. How many of you have read a sermon of Aaron's? Anybody here read any of Aaron's sermons? It's not the teaching that he stood out for. This is it. This is why he stood out above everybody, and that is the clothing. It's the look. And so the garments that he put on spoke to them of God. If you look at verse 2, And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. So whose glory are these garments for? Is that for Aaron? Or is this for Aaron as he represents God? Well, God's not interested in glorifying Aaron. It's Aaron as he represents Christ. So the difference between Aaron and Christ is that Aaron put on the garments and they were made, and, and, and they were made glorious. But Christ put on the garments and makes the garments glorious. Aaron became glorious because he put on garments. Christ makes garments glorious because they're put on him. Now, an example of that, of the glory of Christ in his, in his clothing, is at the transfiguration, where he appeared in glorious light, and the glory, you remember, made his garments as white as light. And so the priest, wearing the garments, gave him dignity, whereas Christ, wearing the garments, gave them dignity. In the second century B.C., the high priest was described in Sirach, one of the apocryphal books, and this description has no authority of Scripture, but it doesn't change the history of the event. There was a priest, a high priest, by the name of Simon, and this is the way that he was described in Sirach. How was he honored in the midst of the people in his coming out of the sanctuary? He was as the morning star in the midst of a cloud, and as the moon at the full, as the sun shining upon the temple of the Most High, and as a rainbow giving light in the bright clouds. And as the flower of roses in the spring of the year, as lilies by the rivers of waters, as the branches of the frankincense tree in the time of summer, as fire and incense in the censer, and as a vessel of beaten gold set with all manner of precious stones, and as a fair olive tree budding forth fruit, and as a cypress tree which groweth up to the clouds, when he put on the robe of honor and was clothed with the perfection of glory, when he went up to the holy altar, he made the garment of holiness honorable. When he took the portion out of the priest's hands, he himself stood by the hearth of the altar, compassed about as a young cedar in Libanus, and as a palm tree compassed him round about. So were the sons of Aaron in their glory, and the oblation of the Lord in their hands before all the congregation of Israel." 
And I thought that was a remarkable description considering that that was written in the 2nd B.C., which is in the intertestamental period, and that is the time when God did not speak to Israel. By that time, the, the priesthood in Israel had degenerated. It was corrupt. As I said, God didn't speak to the people then. And so who knows whether these priests did it for their glory or they did it for God's, but whatever the case is, it illustrates the reverence of the people for the priest office. And then later when Christ came and had died and was gone, there was still no one who raised his hand against the high priest. We read in Acts 23 the example of Paul when he stood before the high priest. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded him, uh, them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wish not, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Now Paul respected the office of the priest because that was expedient. It wasn't because corrupt Ananias deserved any respect. But that's not the way it was when God told Moses to ordain Aaron and to set his sons apart for priesthood. The divine appointment of Aaron was accentuated when Aaron's priesthood was challenged. There were some who thought Aaron shouldn't be the high priest. There are others that ought to have priesthood. And so you remember that God caused Aaron's dead wooden staff to come to life, and it, and it sprouted buds and almonds. And do you understand the symbolism of the rod that budded? That is a picture of Christ's resurrection to life. That stick was a dead stick, but it came alive, and it budded. And so Aaron represents Christ. His garments are prepared for glory and beauty, because that is a type of the great high priest, Jesus Christ. Now, I'd like to, for us to break down this passage and examine each of these garments. Like the rituals of sacrifice, as I've said, each article has its significance. But we're not going to keep the order of the passage, and you'll understand as we go through, that we need to start at the end of the chapter. And we start with the description of the first articles of clothing that the priest put on. And these would be the undergarments in verse number 42. And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness. From the loins, even unto the thighs, they shall reach. Now, since Christ is the one glorified in the garments, these clothes will tell us something about the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. So first, reading from the end of the chapter, in the first garments that are put on, first is fine linen, which stands for the purity of Christ. And in verse 39, you'll see there's a miter of fine linen, and we're not going to talk about that. We'll discuss that one later. But this part is a discussion of the fine linen breeches and the linen coat that was worn next to the body. We would call that underwear because it's the first garment that's put on. And so when the priest was fully clothed, these are articles that are not seen except where you saw it as it came from about here at his elbows and down to, the, to his wrist. And then at the very, very bottom of the, of the ephod, it would, a robe of the ephod, that this would extend beyond that and you would see it there. But for the most part, you don't see underwear. 
You're not supposed to see underwear. Well, there's some idiot men and boys that, with their pants falling off that might dispute that, as well as some ladies who seem to have difficulty keeping the lingerie covered up. But that's another subject for a different day. The linen breeches and the coat cover his nakedness. And before I ever begin to explain the purpose of this, there should be wheels turning in your head. What does covering up nakedness mean? God is never pleased with nakedness. Did you know that? Nakedness has spiritual implications. The outer garments, those that are put on after this, these will all picture Christ's intercession for Israel in some way. Whereas these inner garments more correctly represent the priest himself in one aspect, and there is also another that represents Christ's righteousness. In another, it points to Christ, and we'll look at that. But first we have to look at what does this mean to the priest. So first we look at the righteousness of the priest. The linen breeches cover his nakedness. Now, there's much made of nakedness in the Scriptures, and a study of that would lead us down paths that are better suited for other discussions, and so... We won't go there, but I think it is important for us to note that nakedness represents sin. Covering nakedness represents the purity of righteousness, the righteousness that covers sin. Nakedness is shame. In Genesis, Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, and then they realized their nakedness. And what does the Bible say? They were ashamed of it. And so their first awareness of sinful self was an attempt at self-righteousness to cover physical nakedness. And so they hastily sewed fig leaves together because they felt the shame of that before God. They wanted to cover their shame. Now an interesting command concerning nakedness was given by God in building the altar. That the height of the altar was restricted. It was low so that there wouldn't be any steps that went up to it. They weren't allowed to put steps up to it, because if the priests were to step at a level above the uh, eye line of the people, they might be able to see under the robes, and thus they would see the shame of his nakedness. Exodus 20, verse 26, Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that the nakedness, thy nakedness, be not discovered thereon. I think I may have told you about this incident that happened when I was in the airport in Louisville a couple of years ago. I had some time before my flight, and so I chose a seat between two of the gates there where I could sit down and wait and check some emails. And I saw this young Catholic priest with a black frock from his neck down to his feet, and he was completely covered, or supposed to be, except that he wasn't all that good about keeping completely covered. There was a slit down the side of his robe that's supposed to be bound up and, and kept closed. But when he turned around, that flap came open and it uncovered his nakedness. There's some things that you can't unsee. Did you know that? And uh, this guy didn't have a stitch of clothing on underneath that. Needless to say, I was traumatized by a Catholic priest and I filed a case for sexual abuse because of that. In Nahum, God spoke judgment on the wicked city of Nineveh, and he called their wickedness nakedness. Nahum 3, verse 5, Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will discover thy skirts upon thy face, and I will show the nations thy nakedness, and the kingdoms thy shame. 
Then interestingly, God spoke of the wickedness of a church that wouldn't obey him as nakedness. This is written to the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3.18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. And you can be sure that when we get to the Laodicean church that we'll discuss a lot more about nakedness. So nakedness is always associated with gross sin. And so the first thing that a priest had to do was to cover his nakedness because that pictures sin. The, the priest is supposed to be a man of spotless character. Old Testament priests weren't always that way any more than New Testament pastors are always that way. And there were probably more priests in Israel in their long history that were not close to what they should have been. But when they put on this inner garment, that symbolized they were supposed to be that way because this garment represents purity. It's his responsibility to be holy. That linen mitre on his head has a headband that says, Holiness unto the Lord. And so the priest must have a clean life. And if these activities are symbols of Christianity, which we emphatically believe that they are, then there isn't any shortage of places in the New Testament that, that parallel this same symbolism by demanding righteous living. One of the most, most uh, familiar would be Peter's quotation in 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16, when he says, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And then there are many others that you know of. First Paul in 1 Corinthians, James who spoke of pure religion. The Apostle John who said that we are to show God is alive in us through the holy living of keeping commandments. And then there are many texts about sanctification, a doctrine that has its root in holiness. So why must a priest be holy? I think it's obvious to us because Christ is holy. He was harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And so the underwear, the white underwear, is a commitment to holiness. It's a commitment to cover nakedness and the shame of sin in, through, through the purity of holiness. And so before he puts on any other garments, he must resolve to be holy. Now that part is unseen. It's assumed that the priest is wearing these garments as commanded. But people don't see underwear. Didn't we just say that? You're not supposed to see underwear and the same thing is true of you, not in a physical sense. It is true in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, there is nobody knows what you are underneath. Nobody knows what you are in your heart, and yet you are to undergird your outward holiness with an inner spiritual purity. Now, I have some further comments about this, but um, I don't want to keep you uh, reading this whole chapter at the beginning took quite a bit of time, so I'm going to save more of this for... Uh, the practical comments for these things regarding the priest's underwear, we'll save that for next time. And, and, and I know you're overly excited to hear more about underwear, so we'll talk about that. But I do want you to keep this in mind as we leave, and that is the glory of Christ. I could never say enough about the glory of Christ. The entire universe, the Bible teaches, is a garment for Christ. God referred to the creation as a garment that one day he will fold up and put away. Because the perfection of this universe and the way that he created it has been marred by sin, 
God said that one day this universe, the whole of it's going to be folded up as a garment and put away. And then God's going to make a new universe, a new creation that's suitable as a garment for Christ. So God says, this creation grows old as a garment. It must be worn out and put away. And then when he puts that away, that's, that's when he creates that new universe. Now, if you'll just turn to Hebrews chapter 1, we'll finish here. And this is a good place for us to stop. We've already seen the tremendous value of Hebrews for explaining the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 8. Hebrews 1 verse 8. But unto the Son, he said, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture thou shalt fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Jesus Christ, beautiful, righteous, and glorious, anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. And that's what these garments are all about, the glory of Christ. Blessed be God for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. We bless you because he came into the world to die for our sins. He is beautiful. He is glorious. He's beyond all imagination. There's none of us that could ever, in the farthest reaches of our imagination, uh, get a picture in our minds of what Jesus Christ truly is and that essential glory as he is in heaven today. Lord, we thank you that he is the one who saved us from our sins, who gave us these tremendous promises that we have in the word of God. We look to him and we thank you for him. We praise him for all the mighty works that he has done. Help us, Lord, then, as we look through these passages of Scripture to learn about these glorious garments that we'll see how Christ accomplished that redemption for us and how he stands in all ways as the perfect high priest for each and every one of your people. Thank you, Lord, for this. Bless your people, and we give you the praise for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.